Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Charlotte, let's turn to France, where President Emmanuel Macron has announced a series of measures to overhaul the country's research organization. He claims this will reduce bureaucracy and place science at the heart of political decision-making. That's a bold move, Diego. This represents the biggest shakeup to France's research system in about two decades. The proposed changes include the creation of a presidential science council, a group of 12 leading scientists that will advise the president on research strategy. Yes, and these scientists will also address key issues facing the scientific community. Macron presented this billion-euro plan to around 300 researchers, politicians, and business leaders recently. It's not often we see a French president discussing science in such detail. Alain Fischer, president of the French Academy of Sciences, said it's clear Macron has heeded scientists' warnings about the problems in French research. Macron's plan involves transforming the country's seven national research institutes into program agencies, each responsible for the strategy and coordination of all research on a particular theme. This is quite a shift from the current system, where research in each discipline is scattered across various public institutions. That's right, Diego. Under the reformed system, the Alternative Energies and Atomic Energy Commission will oversee all research on low-carbon energy technology, digital systems and infrastructure. The Biomedical Institute, INSERM, will be in charge of health research, and the National Research Agency, CNRS, will oversee marine, climate, and biodiversity research. Macron also promised more autonomy for universities and measures to save researchers' time. This includes cutting the number of quality assessments, making grant funding decisions faster, and encouraging collaborations between universities and public research institutions. However, some scientists have expressed skepticism about these promises, given previous unsuccessful attempts to simplify processes. There's been a mixed response to Macron's announcements, while Fisher has been positive about them, others, like Patrick Lemaire, president of an alliance of 74 French learned societies and outreach associations, have been critical. Lemaire calls Macron's announcements purely ideological and divorced from reality. Lemaire also points out that the plan does not adequately address the complexity of the funding labyrinth that researchers must navigate. He argues that this is not the time to divert scientists from their work with ill-planned and controversial policies. Pierre Rochette, a geophysics researcher, also voices concerns, saying that institutes like the CNRS face more immediate issues, such as overly complicated systems and dysfunctional software that high-level reforms won't solve. So, while Macron's intentions might be noble, there's a clear divide over whether these reforms will truly benefit French research. It's a complex issue, and one we'll keep a close eye on. From scientific reform in France to scientific warnings on a global scale, let's shift our focus to a pressing issue that's been making headlines worldwide. A recent report by over 200 scientists paints a rather grim picture of our planet's future if we don't take immediate and decisive action. Charlotte, these findings are quite alarming, wouldn't you say? Charlotte, it seems that we're standing on the precipice of some serious climate tipping points according to a recent report by over 200 scientists. Quite a grim outlook, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, Diego. 
The report suggests that crossing these points could result in irreversible effects on our ecosystems. And while some scientists are cautious about emphasizing these tipping points due to the challenges in assessing their likelihood, there's little doubt about the real and escalating risks. Tim Lenton, a climate scientist at the University of Exeter who led this report, has stated that these tipping points pose threats that humanity has never faced before. The report was presented at the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Dubai. The data released there makes clear the magnitude of the challenge. Indeed, this year's global fossil fuel emissions are on track to hit a record high of roughly 37 billion tons of carbon dioxide. And despite the Paris Agreement, current pledges to cut emissions could still allow global temperatures to rise to 2.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by 2100. This is a stark reminder of the urgency of the situation. The report outlines the potential effects of crossing 26 climate tipping points. Coral reefs are in immediate danger, even at current levels of warming. The ice sheets in Greenland and West Antarctica are also at risk of irreversible collapse, which could significantly raise sea levels. And with just 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming above pre-industrial levels, northern forests, mangroves, and other coastal ecosystems are at risk. Not to mention the potential transformation of large parts of the Amazon rainforest into savanna with just 2 degrees Celsius of warming disrupting life across South America and leading to even more carbon being released into the atmosphere. It's a domino effect of catastrophic proportions. Manjana Milkerite, a political scientist and co-author of the report, emphasizes that considering these tipping points makes short-term action even more critical. The decisions we make over the next decade or two could affect life on the planet for thousands of years. But there's also a debate on whether focusing on tipping points actually makes a difference from a social and political standpoint. Michael Oppenheimer, a climate scientist at Princeton University, is skeptical. He believes that the increasing frequency of extreme weather events and other climate impacts might be more effective in changing minds and stimulating action. That's an interesting point, Charlotte. However, the report also provides some hope. It lists potential positive tipping points in social, political, and economic systems which, if crossed, could result in benefits for the climate. For instance, the decline in the cost of wind and solar power is driving more investments away from fossil fuels and towards clean energy. That's a ray of hope indeed. But as Lenton points out, the incremental policy measures that governments have pursued so far aren't enough. We need to find and trigger some positive tipping points that accelerate action down an alternative pathway. It's a balancing act, and one we really need to get right. While we consider the daunting reality of climate tipping points, it's also important to remember that there are initiatives and plans being put into place to combat these challenges. One such plan focuses on the role of cities in the climate crisis. In fact, the Science-Based Targets Network has recently announced a significant step towards this end. Charlotte, the Science-Based Targets Network, or SBTN, has recently announced plans to develop city-focused, science-based targets that include nature and biodiversity. This was made public at COP28, and it's a holistic framework that looks at the impact of cities. Quite a significant step, isn't it? Absolutely, Diego. The city's science-based targets for nature program is going to help municipalities manage land and water, protect biodiversity, and bolster climate resilience. 
and this isn't a one-off initiative. It's set to unfold over the next 18 months until spring 2025, when initial guidance for cities will... Right, and the program is a collaborative effort involving leading city networks, research institutions, and advisory organizations focused on cities. We're talking about groups like CDP, WWF, WRI, C40, IceGlide, Durham University, TNC, and ARUP. Metabolic and Urban Biodiversity Hub are also on board as core delivery partners. Eva Gladek, the founder and CEO of Metabolic, said that cities are committing to integrating nature into their climate transition and urban policy agendas as an immediate priority. This includes establishing clear targets for the creation and preservation of green and blue spaces. It's an ambitious and necessary step, considering that cities are the largest driver of environmental impact globally. That's a great point, Charlotte. In fact, studies by the World Bank and the UN estimate that 57% of the global population already lives in cities, a number projected to rise to 68% by 2050. So the impact of cities, both direct and indirect, need to be brought in line with what nature can support. And let's not forget the coming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework set a global goal of halting and reversing biodiversity loss by 2030. Regions and cities are seen as essential catalysts for change in the pursuit of nature-positive development. It's clear that setting targets for cities is essential for guiding efforts in line with the safe and just earth system boundaries. Indeed. And Maya Kuttner, CDP Global Director of Cities, States, and Regions, has highlighted that sustainable and resilient infrastructure is the cornerstone of tangible climate action. She's calling on national governments, the private sector, and financial institutions to turbocharge their support to cities and invest in this mission-critical infrastructure, especially in the Global South. Also at COP28, the presidency joined with the United Nations Human Settlements Program and Bloomberg Philanthropies to call for the backing of a joint outcome statement on urbanization and climate change. This 10-point plan aims to boost the inclusion of cities in the decision-making process on climate change, drive multi-level climate action, and accelerate the deployment of urban climate finance. It's a crucial step towards preparing cities to respond to the climate crisis. And that's more important than ever, considering that as many as 90% of cities are threatened by rising sea levels and storms. Urban residents are exposed to temperatures 10 degrees higher than their counterparts in rural areas. Maimouna Mod Sharif, Undersecretary General of UN Habitat, pointed out that cities, home to most of the world's population, contribute over 70% of CO2 emissions. But immediate action could bring down their emissions to near net zero. Exactly, Diego. And while two-thirds of the updated NDCs feature moderate or strong urban content, finance remains a critical bottleneck. Only 21% of climate finance is allocated to adaptation and resilience, and only 10% reaches the local level. It's clear that there's still a lot of work to be done. From the macrocosm of urban planning and climate resilience, we now shift our focus to the microcosm of material surfaces and interfaces. In a world increasingly dependent on technology, understanding these surfaces at a molecular level is key for advancements in various fields, such as catalysis and electronics. Today, we'll delve into a recent breakthrough in this area, outlined in a paper published in Nature Computational Science. Today, we're diving into the realm of material surfaces and interfaces, a field that's crucial for applications such as catalysis or electronics. 
A recent paper in Nature Computational Science outlines a new computational approach to predict surface phase diagrams of multi-component materials. It's quite a breakthrough, isn't it, Charlotte? Absolutely, Diego. The method they've proposed employs machine learning interatomic potentials trained on high-throughput density functional theory calculations. They've managed to accelerate both energy scoring and statistical sampling methods, which is a significant stride forward in the field. Right, and these machine learning potentials are not only fast, but also scalable and data efficient. They've even been tested on complex material surfaces like JN, I-11, and SRTIO3-001 with promising results. But Charlotte, can you explain to our listeners why this is so important? Sure, Diego. In simple terms, understanding material surfaces at a molecular level is vital for various applications. For instance, in catalysis, it helps in designing better catalysts. In electronics, it can lead to the development of more efficient devices. However, accurate energy simulations have traditionally been prohibitive due to the vast phase space that must be statistically sampled. This new approach helps in... So it's about bridging the gap between theory and practical application in a more efficient way, right? But what about the computational aspect of this? Isn't machine learning quite resource intensive? It can be, Diego, but the beauty of this method lies in its efficiency. They've managed to use machine learning in a way that significantly accelerates the process without compromising on accuracy. This has the potential to revolutionize how we model and predict material surfaces. That's fascinating, Charlotte. It's like we're witnessing a paradigm shift in material science, spurred by advances in computational power and machine learning. But I wonder, what are the implications of this beyond the lab? Could this lead to real-world applications that could benefit society? Well, Diego, the possibilities are vast. From developing more efficient catalysts that could revolutionize industries, to designing better electronic devices that could enhance our daily lives, this method could have far-reaching implications. And the best part is, all the models, data, and codes used in this study are freely available for other researchers to build upon. This open... That's a crucial point, Charlotte. Open science is such an integral part of advancing research. It's great to see that the authors have made their work accessible to the wider scientific community. It will be interesting to see how this method evolves and what new discoveries it might lead to. Indeed, Diego. It's a testament to the power of collaborative research and the potential of machine learning in advancing our understanding of the world at a molecular level. It's a fascinating time to be in the field of material science. Absolutely, Charlotte. And as always, we'll be here to keep our listeners updated on the latest developments in this exciting field.